Welcome to Urban Awakening. So this week podcast is with Lauren Lockman. And it's a fascinating topic and it's a very trending topic nowadays. Um, many podcasts, many high performance uh, individuals and many even TED Talks are talking about uh, fasting, intermittent fasting. Even many Facebook groups will talk about dry fasting. This is a really, really interesting and important topic for me and for this podcast, Urban Awakening. Because in my own journey, it was fasting what really changed many things within me. It changed the way I relate with food, my relationship with food. It also changed what I believed it was possible regarding eating and being without food for a while. My first um, thought when I was um, told about fasting, I think it was about five years ago when I was in Bali, um, I've heard about it before, whatnot, but like when I really started getting information uh, delivered to me, and I believe that it was because I was ready then. I was ready to receive this information. Probably if I got this information mm, two years before, whatnot, I would have not been ready for, or I would have dismissed this information. So when I got this information, I remember the first thing was like, no, impossible. It's uh, what do you mean fasting and going a few days without eating? And, um, but anyways, I was in Bali and, and the weather was nice. I, um, I got good resources and good advice from some friends and relatives. And my partner and I decided to embark on our first, uh, it was a juice fast. We started doing a green juice fast. Uh, no fruits in the juice. It was basically parsley and kale. Um, I do believe cucumber, which it could be a fruit for some. Uh, lemon and some other greens that we could find locally. I think celery. And we lasted about three days and um, big headache and very uncomfortable. And then we switched to coconut water. Uh, our body uh, felt it was the correct thing and it also meant spending less time doing our juice and filtering the juice and whatnot so it was way more convenient and was really powerful but this uh, episode with Lauren Lockman he's one of the reference in in the world regarding water fasting he has conducted uh, water fasting for hundreds or thousands of people uh, from all nationalities, from many, many countries. And he has a center currently in Costa Rica. I believe that before that he had one in Panama and before that in the States. Um, he's uh, a man that lives on fruits, basically. I think he has some greens here and there. And he has... Um, integrated fasting as part of his lifestyle. It's not just a measure that he 
takes when he's sick, like many people do, unfortunately. Fasting is a way of lifestyle. It's part of his life. And in this episode, he will um, share his knowledge and what he has learned after witnessing hundreds of people going through a fast. He will also disclose when should you fast, what should you look when you're uh, to book a retreat for fasting or or how to do a fasting and and what are some of the dangers that uh, entail doing a water fast. Uh, we will also talk about uh, intermittent fasting, dry fasting, and uh, the power of fruits as a, as a diet. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and remember... Um, if you like this episode, if you like this uh, podcast, you're doing uh, a great benefit to me and to the podcast by uh, subscribing, following the podcast in the different mediums that we have, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and um, also download the episodes, rate, review the, the episodes, and share them with your loved ones. You can visit samadhijourneys.com. That's www.samadhi, S-A-M-A-D-H-I, journeys, J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-S.com, uh, where you could get more information about our upcoming retreats and other projects that my partner and I uh, currently hold, and also get more information about the podcast. Anyways, I'll leave you with that interview. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you get inspired to also start doing your own fast. And, uh, and if you need to look for advice and help, you can always reach out, send an Instagram message or, um, or an email on our website and spread the love. Blessings. This is Urban Awakening, and I'm your host, Jose Reynoso. Today, Lauren Lockman is joining us to talk about fasting, fruitarian diet, fruit festivals, and healing centers in uh, Costa Rica. Who is Lauren Lockman? Lauren is the founder and director of the Tanglewood Wellness Center, uh, world's premier water-only fasting center. With over uh, 27 years of experience, he's uh, coached more than uh, 10,000 people from more than 110 countries to amazing levels of health and vitality. He went from being very sick at the age 23 to, having, to have gone more than 31 years without being sick a single day. Uh, 31 years without being sick a single day, that's, uh, that's crazy for normal Western standards. Uh, I think it's yeah. usually no more than 31 days without being sick nowadays. <laughs> Maybe so. Um, so how's life in Costa Rica? Because you're based in Costa Rica, right? That's right. Yeah. Life, life here is, uh, is wonderful. It's a beautiful place. Do you know Costa Rica? Yeah, I do love Costa Rica. It's actually, uh, I should be there now, but I'm, I'm in Spain finishing some things, but I, I've, that's where I'm gonna, I want to grow old or at least live a, a, a big part of my life. I love Costa Rica. I, I as soon as I spent some time there, I, I understood the Pura Vida uh, slogan. Yeah. Yeah. It really is a fantastic place. Amazing people, beautiful climate. Uh, you know, beautiful country. I mean, just f physically beautiful place. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm 
curious before we dive deep into uh, the mysteries and uh, depths of fasting. Uh, where were you born? Uh, who, what was your family like? Well, I'm originally from Washington, D.C., and I grew up in a family with uh, three sisters and myself. Uh, my parents were, were together until I was eight, and then they split up, and we went through a lot of the, the sort of typical broken family stuff. Uh, it was very challenging for my mother, and um, yeah, but, you know, I think, I mean, at the time, it was interesting because at the time, this was uh, 50 years ago, um, divorce wasn't so common. Mm-hmm. In, f- in fact, at the time, I didn't, I didn't have any friends whose parents were divorced. It was pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, of course, it's, you know, it's incredibly common. But, but back then, it was, uh, it was a little bit different. We were some of the first latchkey kids. Mm. Well, and um, what was uh, your typical uh, meal plan of the day? What would you regularly eat uh, growing up? Yeah, well, you know, uh, going to school, um, it was typically cereal toast, something, something fairly quick. Uh, my mother would make us sandwiches for lunch and fruit. Uh, you know, I, I think I had a huge advantage because although my mother wasn't schooled in nutrition at all, she had the common sense to understand that processed food, you know, the typical crap that most people live on today mm-hmm. was indeed crap. And so <laughs> we ate very little of that. I mean, almost okay. none. Um, you know, we, we ate it. We weren't, we weren't vegetarian or anything, but we had meat every single day, uh, mm-hmm. at home every night for dinner. There was almost every single night and there, there might've been some nights it was macaroni and cheese, something like that. But most nights there was some animal product involved, but every night we had a large green salad and two vegetables with mm-hmm. our, with our meat. And so I grew up, I think, eating perhaps a little better than the average person did and getting that grounding that, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was helpful to eat whole foods, real mm-hmm. food. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, but something happened, right? That um, uh, when you got a little bit older, something happened that triggered uh, what you've come up to become today, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, and, and it's interesting because, I know you're, you're about awakening, not just about, about health. It's more than that. And I believe that every event in our lives can trigger an awakening. It really depends on how we choose to interact with everything. You know, mm-hmm. what happened for me, it wasn't, it wasn't really one event. I mean, there was a culminating event. But I was a competitive swimmer for many years. Okay. I spent a lot of my time in pools as a child. I started, started racing when I was six. Mm-hmm. and continued swimming competitively until I was uh, out of college. Uh, I also played water polo in college. And so, again, I spent a lot of time in pools. I believe the exposure to a lot of chlorine didn't mm-hmm. help. As soon as I was old enough, uh, this, this is sort of emblematic, but in my, I believe it was my 14th year, I began mowing lawns for, you know, to, to make some money. Mm-hmm. I used the family lawnmower. I didn't have my own. But I used the family lawnmower, and I would mow the neighbor's lawns, and I would, I would make money. I never had any money in, before that. We didn't get allowances mm-hmm. to speak of. Uh, and so and at, at the, uh, in the center of the community, we had a community swim and tennis club where they had machines that sold candy and soda. Mm-hmm. And those were two things that we were not allowed to have. We didn't have them at home. Mm-hmm. So over the course of one summer, I created 14 cavities. Oh, wow. 
I, I didn't have any cavities until then. Um, and I started eating junk because, you know, as soon as I had money, I, I was eating all the stuff that I'd been prohibited from eating. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure that didn't help. Uh, later, starting at 14, I started using drugs and alcohol. Okay. And, you know, again, I, I, my, my guess is that all of these things combined to dramatically negatively impact my immunity, my, you know, my level of health and vitality and my immune function. And so at 23, shortly after graduating from college, uh, a, bit, a little bit late, <clears throat> I uh, wound up getting very sick. Mm-hmm. Chronic fatigue syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic candidi- uh, candidiasis, sinusitis, and 57 allergies. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, so these things knocked me out mm-hmm. uh, and eventually were what triggered me looking not right away, but, but uh, a few years later, were what triggered me looking for a way back to health. Mm. Uh, would you say that maybe you were doing um, drugs and alcohol and maybe overeating candy because he was like that prohibition that like uh, it's not allowed that it was so enticing at that young age. I'm, I'm trying to understand why, go to the extreme of eating so much candy because I also, when I grew up, I was like in my house, not, no, no refined bread or no soda. And then I would crave for it outside. You know, I will try to uh, trade my own lunch for like greasier junk food because I thought that was, that was what I needed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, as I said, I think it was largely because it was prohibited and I wanted to have what I couldn't have, had never really been able to have. I mean, you know, what, what, what happened is every year at Halloween, we'd come back with a, you know, with a bag full of, of candy mm-hmm. and we would eat whatever we could while we were out, knowing that when we got home, <laughs> my mother would take most of it away. She would throw away about half of it, like the stuff that she thought was the very worst. I'm sure it was all garbage. And then she would put the rest in a jar and every day for the next couple weeks she would give us like a piece mm-hmm. and then then she would throw the rest away mm-hmm. so, and that's what would happen every year so we had you know had this little brief window we were allowed to have a little bit mm-hmm. and it's just i mean there was no reason for it It was just you know wanting what you weren't supposed to have mm-hmm. um, drugs and alcohol i can tell you that you know i, I think i was uh, certainly affected by my parents divorce um I, I was affected, I think, as most people are. I don't know if you want to get into this here today, but mm-hmm, you know, I, I believe that most of us grow up experiencing, our, our parents are doing the very best they can, mm-hmm. but, but because their parents never gave them unconditional love, mm-hmm. most people didn't have it to give to us. And so we wind up, most of us, believing that we're not worthy, that there's something wrong with us. Because I think, you know, the natural order is for a little, little baby, a little child to be loved unconditionally. Mm-hmm. But very few of us ever experience that as children. And, you know, I, I, I know my parents did the very best they could, but I, I felt, I felt uh, loved enough, if you can call it that, mm-hmm. when I brought home my, my straight A's. I was a good student. When I brought home my report card, you know, I felt loved. Uh, as long as I did what they thought I should do, you know, I, I was, I felt accepted in love, but otherwise not so much, uh, okay. especially after, I, I think after my, my parents split up, it became more difficult. And so I think using drugs and alcohol, as is almost always the case, 
mm-hmm. was a way to try to escape my reality. Mm. Yeah, I see. I find that, uh, yeah, we're always trying to fill in those gaps or that emptiness that maybe our upbringing brought up or, uh, or any other circumstance, uh, split of our parents or a divorce or our own uh, heart being broken by a partner. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I'm always very curious to know the little elements that triggered who you are and how you're like pursuing this uh, path of healing and love, because that's, I think, what, what you're all about, healing with love and loving yourself and ho- loving nature. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So um, how were the first steps that you started taking into what you're currently doing as a profession and lifestyle? Well, you know, it, again, it all, it all went back to realizing at 26, after three years of medical treatment, that I was getting worse, not better. And I know this is a common experience, although a lot of people may not actually become conscious of it. Um, I was aware that I was actually getting worse, that medical treatment wasn't helping me, it was making me sicker. And you know, I can say today that having worked with thousands and thousands of people, I see people every single day that had the same experience. And, and the reason why is very simple, as I'm sure you're already aware, medicine only ever treats symptoms. Mm-hmm. It never, ever addresses the underlying cause, the problem. And we can, you know, pe- people say, well, how about this? And how about that? And I'm like, yeah, let me explain to you why that's not treating the underlying cause, the problem. So I was getting worse, uh, treating symptoms, making my immune system even worse than it had been before. And while well, I finally walked away from medicine and never looked back, I mean, I have not been to a doctor in over 31 years with the exception of trauma. You know, I've had, I've had accidents where I've needed mm-hmm. to go to the hospital, be sewn back together. But other than that, I have not been to a doctor mm-hmm. and have no intention of ever going back because I'm completely clear that they can't help me if I want health. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in suppressing symptoms. If I've got mm-hmm. symptoms, I let my body do what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if, you know, if the symptom is bleeding from a cut artery, that's, that's different than you get it yeah. sewn back together. Uh-huh. But, but otherwise, um, I, I don't, I don't. You know, I haven't consumed any medicine, don't intend mm. to. But, mm. but after giving up on medicine, I wasn't really sure where to go. I had begun to study nutrition at the age of 14. And again, I don't know, you know, I, perhaps because I had a pretty good grounding in it already. I mean, so, you know, something growing up uh, with the strict diet the way I did. Or perhaps it was simply, I mean, I, there was actually a triggering event. And in my 14th year, I grew 10 inches. Uh, if your viewers are all over the world, that's, that's 25 centimeters. Wow. With, without gaining a pound. Oh, uh, you know, so I, all of a sudden I shot up in height in one year and I look like a stick with a nose. (laughs) You know, I'm Jewish descent. I've got a prominent (laughs) nose and I look like a stick with a nose. And here, you know, here at 14 hormones are starting to kick in. I'm wanting the girls to find me attractive and I look like a stick with a nose. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, if I study nutrition and start working out, maybe I can start to build some muscle. And that's what led me to, to study nutrition. So at 16, I came, uh, excuse me, 26, I came back to, you know, not knowing where else to turn. I mean, I, had I grown up in Southern California, even back then I might've known that there were lots of alternatives to medicine. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I didn't know that because that probably would have slowed my journey down because those, those alternatives are just other ways to suppress symptoms. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't know they existed. You know, where, where I grew up, we had conventional medicine, and that's pretty much all I knew. Okay. And so when conventional medicine failed me, I thought maybe I need to go back to nutrition. Well, I quickly realized that even though I was doing everything conventional nutrition said I should do, I was sicker than anyone I knew. That didn't help me either. And it finally occurred to me that maybe conventional nutrition wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I Mm -hmm. set out to figure out what was natural for the human body. Because as you, uh, again, I'm sure you realize, nutrition often talks about isolated nutrients and Mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't seem to understand it's like the reductionistic uh, approach, you know, like we, we reduce everything to single elements and we, separ- exactly. we create that duality and separation, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's simply not the way it works. And, you know, in nature, animals eat the whole foods that their bodies are specifically physiologically adapted for. And so I set out to try to figure out what was a natural diet for humans at the age of 26. And within, and, and I, you know, I, I quickly realized that Animal products and processed foods could not be included on the list. Processed foods because they're not natural for any organism. And animal products because with even a few minutes of study, it becomes quickly apparent that our bodies are completely different, physiologically different from the animals who eat animals in nature. Could you give some of those physiological difference? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We can start with the mouth. Uh, First of all, You know, people often say, we've got canine teeth. Why do we have canines? You know, I have an example. I I have three cats here. The youngest one is, uh, she's no longer a kitten. She still acts, she's the one on the roof running around. Mm -hmm. She still acts like a kitten. And um, we play kind of rough. And, you know, she never intends to hurt. But she'll nip my finger and draw blood sometimes. Okay. You know, if you're listening here, are we, by the way, is this video or or, uh, just audio? Uh, It's audio. Audio. Okay. Okay, so if you're listening, I was going to say if you're watching, if you're listening here, you, know, you can take your, your finger, any finger, put it under your canine tooth and bite down as hard as you want to, okay? You are not going to draw blood, <laughs> right? It's not going to happen because our, our canine teeth are never going to tear through the leather hide of an animal, right? Leather is, a, is an animal's skin. And you know, you're not, we're not biting through that. Our canine teeth are designed to tear the flesh off of an apple, repair, mm-hmm. something like that. So you can look at the teeth. You can look at um, the striations on the teeth. There, were, there was a study done uh, at university in Maryland um, years ago, Johns Hopkins University. They looked at the, all the teeth, of, the teeth of all the hominids that had been found to date and discovered that every one of them was a frugivore, ate a primarily fruit-based diet. Um, every one. You know, they can tell by the markings on the teeth. There was the man found frozen in the ice in Austria a few years ago, said to have been uh, 10,000 years old you know, through carbon dating, completely intact, mm-hmm. including the, his stomach contents. And what, he, what they found in the Alps in Austria in this man's stomach were nothing but berries and, you know, and fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was his diet. Um, look at the digestive enzymes secreted in the mouth, salivary amylase. Okay, it's a starch-splitting enzyme. Why would fruit eaters need that? Because sometimes fruit's not perfectly ripe, and we need to get every advantage to make sure we can digest it. Mm -hmm. But uh, animals that are intended to eat a protein-based diet don't secrete a starch-splitting enzyme at all. Okay, they have Mm -hmm. no need for it because that's not part of their diet. Our jaws go up and down and side to side. 
because we're intended to chew our food, our, our, the vegetation we eat, we need to break it down so we can digest it properly. And carnivores and omnivores, their, their jaws go up and down, they tear the flesh, they, they swallow it whole and digest it without a problem. So you know, if you or I were to swallow one kernel of corn or one sunflower seed without chewing it up, it passes right through our body completely unchanged. Mm-hmm. Okay? A, a snake eats an entire mouse, the whole thing, and digests it with no problem over the course of a couple of days. Right? We cannot do that. Um, mm-hmm. Their stomach acid is 10 times more concentrated than ours. Hydrochloric acid in the stomach is specifically there to break down protein. Okay? Now, you know, we, we have it because everything that we eat contains some protein. Mm-hmm. Protein is the structure, the building block of the cell structure. So every living cell, right? I get uh, yesterday, for instance, I got all of my protein from watermelon and bananas. Mm-hmm. Okay, today it might be papayas and pineapple. Tomorrow it might be mangoes and cantaloupe. Um, you know, there might be a salad a couple times a week. But all of those things contain protein, and they all contain fat because the mm-hmm. cell nucleus of every cell is made of fat. So. We are intended to eat very little protein, and so don't produce a lot of hydrochloric acid compared to them. Theirs mm-hmm. is 10 times more concentrated. Look at the length of the digestive tract. Okay, Ours is, is fairly long for our size, uh, roughly 32 feet. Um, again, for the metric listeners here, that's uh, not quite 10 meters long mm-hmm. from mouth to the other end. And that's because we're intended to consume things that are completely non-toxic to us, that aren't going to harm us, that can stay in the body for the 8 to 12 hours that it takes a healthy body to process them through the, the, you know, on this journey until we, we excrete what we don't need. If you feed your dog and then three hours later you take it for a walk, it eliminates its dinner. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because animals that eat a high protein based diet where they're making dozens of toxic byproducts have to eliminate that waste very quickly so mm-hmm. it doesn't harm them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they have very short, smooth, straight digestive tracts. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm six feet, 182 centimeters, and from the bottom of my stomach to the ileocecal valve in my groin, uh, it's, you know, if you look at the surface of my body, it's about a foot, 30 centimeters. Within that 30 centimeters, I've got 20 plus feet of small intestine. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, some seven meters of small intestine in, in that small space of 30 centimeters, 12, 12 inches. So it's twists and turns and curves and etc. Where their, their digestive tract, for instance, a 500 pound tiger has a digestive tract that's about 12 feet long, where yours is nearly three times longer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. That's because they need to eat their food, break it down with acid, and then eliminate the waste as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. So our systems are completely different. Not only that, I mean, think about this. You know, predators, the, the carnivores, don't sweat. Why not? Well, because they can't afford to telegraph to their prey where they are. Oh, wow. when, when you sweat, there's much more mm-hmm. body odor. So mm-hmm. they cool down much less efficiently by panting. You've seen mm-hmm. a cat or a dog do this. It's not a particularly effect, efficient way to cool down, but, but it's what they do so that they don't tell their prey where they are. Oh, yeah. We have the advantage of sweating, and that's because 
Now, you know, most people may not be able to relate to this, and I'll share with you something that, you know, you might, you might file under more than you needed to know about Lauren, but I, I shower uh, two or three times a week at the most. Don't use soap or deodorant, shampoo, toothpaste, uh, any lotions, creams, anything like that. And the people here are always amazed. They, they tell me I smell like fruit. I mean, I have no bo bad body well, odor. You, you are what you eat, right? That's what it's always been said. You are what you exactly. eat. Exactly. It's absolutely true. You know, when you, when you meet people that have a strong body odor, and we've all had that experience, mm -hmm. these are bodies that are quite toxic. And high in protein, right? They usually, I, I've had this question asked past in, in the past, like when you uh, go to the washroom and, and, and you have a bowel movement, does it smell like fruit? I'm like, surprisingly, it does smell like mango. It does smell like, you know, yeah. like I remember That's the right. times of having a, a, I don't know, like a burger or whatever, and it will smell like, uh, sorry for my French shit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that, that's absolutely right. You, meet, uh, you often meet people, uh, hopefully not too often. I, mm -hmm. I met a guy a couple of years ago, had the experience of seeing him again recently on a lecture tour whose breath literally smells like poop. Oh, yeah. Well, I do actually find that very common. I think the more sensitive I become myself, uh, the more right. I start feeling that body odor. It's most like right. putrefaction, like, like exactly. compost, but not even like bokashi compost, like, like no. bad, nasty compost. That's right. And yeah, this, 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 is, this is dead flesh. Dead you know, flesh. Dead yeah. rotting flesh. Yeah, yeah. Rotting definitely. flesh. That's, that's exactly what it is. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, with apologies to anyone listening, understand, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those uh, militant vegans who think that people that aren't vegans are bad people. I wasn't a vegan my whole life. Mm -hmm. um, I've now been a vegan for practically half my life, but uh, I certainly understand what it's like to not know. I grew up mm -hmm. believing I needed to eat meat to be healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, as, as I'm sure you know, exactly the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. uh, if you really want to be healthy, you cannot eat animal products because they're going to, they're, they're, our bodies are simply mm -hmm. not set up for that. And I think it also, it's, it's, a, it's not, yeah, I'm not either a, a militant, uh, like a, dictator vegan or whatever you know I, i believe that everybody's in their own process i've also eaten meat and and flesh and uh now i prefer fruit flesh uh but um right. i think it's uh we like it happened to you when you were in your 20s or whatever you have to start taking ownership of your own health and start looking for your own answers instead of like relying solely on the system because the system being vegan or not being uh, religious or not, it has failed us so many times that it's, it's about time that we start taking a step into really asking those deep questions, even though it might right. hurt, it might cut That's us right. away from certain relationships and taking a step into finding our own truth. So yeah. having said this, what's your definition of optimal health? Well, optimal health is when everything in the body functions as well as possible. It's that simple. You know, and it's interesting because um, years ago, the World Health Organization was involved with world governments in trying to define, you know, what real health was. And they said, well, you know, health is when everything functions perfectly. And they came to the conclusion that wasn't possible. Um, and of course, you know, it's not possible in the current world when people make conventional choices. And green standards, yeah. Yeah, you know, doing what most people do is a uh, absolute sentence. It's just a question of when. Uh, 80% die of cancer, heart disease, or stroke. 
And, and those conditions are virtually 100% preventable, but they're caused by, by making conventional choices, including primarily eating a conventional diet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when, when your eyesight, when your vision is, I mean, I, I, I'll often ask people when I'm speaking, you know, I'll have a group of people in an audience, and I'll say, how many of you are experiencing perfect health? And I'll have people raising their hand that are obese, that are wearing thick glasses, right? I mean, here's a couple of obvious signs, right? So, you know, just to make it, because people think, well, that's different. I was born with, you know, with a vision problem. Yeah. Okay, it's not, it's not different. When, when you are as healthy as possible, everything works as well as it should, as it can. So your vision is perfect. Your hearing is perfect. You're, you're fit, right? And let me clarify, because this is an area of confusion for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people, I mean, I, I get trolls, uh, as you can see me, Jose. So you, you, you know um, that I'm lean. Uh, I don't think you can be truly healthy if you're not. Mm -hmm. um, carrying excess body fat's not a healthy thing. And there's, you know, there's tons of science to support this. So I, I'm quite lean. I'm also quite strong. But I get these trolls that say, what do you like? You look good for 100, 100 years old, right? Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Um, these, these are typically meat eaters who you know, think that uh, you can't be manly if you don't eat meat. You, you, know, you can't have a big physique if you don't eat meat, et cetera. Um, and, and they may be right about some of that, but who, who wants that, right? I mean, I want to be healthy, period. Mm -hmm. I think but, um, you know, it has a lot to do with... Uh, our current uh, perspective of what health and wealth could mean, right? Like big house, a big car or, or noisy car, um, noisy motorbike, when right. probably the best motorbike will be the most silent, less gas consuming, let's say electric, right. uh, some power now near the future, a small yeah. sustainable house. But like it's this whole perspective of more is better instead of that's, less that's right. better. That's you know? right. As you said, like the definition of fit, is can you like many people also told me like oh i'm fit but like they probably like are panting after walking a set of stairs or they can't exactly. even carry their own exactly. children you know yeah exactly that that's not fit but you know what most people do is they look at somebody and they think well if they have a good physique and they're attractive then they must be healthy mm -hmm. and that that is simply not the case and, and there's there's so much evidence for this you know all you have to do is look at the news reports or google mm -hmm. you know how many how many uh high school college and professional athletes dropped dead last year while playing their mm -hmm. sport. Mm -hmm. Okay. So these people might've been incredibly fit because they're playing sports at a high level, but they weren't healthy. Mm -hmm. They had heart disease. They had, you know, they had various health challenges and that we see this all the time. It's, I mean, this is, this mm -hmm. is a common thing. So being fit doesn't make you healthy, but to be healthy, you have to be fit. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't be truly healthy if you're walking around obese or don't have any muscle mass because mm -hmm. your body doesn't work properly. Mm -hmm. I okay, think so, that could even take us to, again, to the example of the big, nice, shiny house, which looks perfect, but inside is rotten from termites and again, like ro broken beams that you cannot even see, but outside it looks beautiful and strong, sure. let's say. Yeah, could, could be, right. But, you know, I mean, in terms, in terms of the body, we're talking about simply integrity of the body. Does mm -hmm. the body work the way the body was intended to? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. People think that there are things they can't heal. We, we've actually had two groups of blind people with every one of them seeing some improvement in their vision. Mm -hmm. uh, not mo most of them did not achieve perfect vision, although one did. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> one woman who uh, started out you know, legally blind, unable from five feet away to see that there's a person in front of her. Um, 
now drives a car. Mm, wow. Wow, wow. Uh, doesn't wear glasses. Wow. Uh, so, you know, we've had people now, again, people that are born deaf, usually there's a mechanical problem where the bones in the ear don't connect. They're, they're not, you know, fasting is not going to help yeah. them here. But people who lose their hearing regain hearing. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I'm, when, I, when I'm talking about perfect health, I'm really talking about having everything return to where it's working the way it was originally intended to. When I was 18, I was a cadet at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. And I went there because I wanted to fly. And I was disqualified from flight training because I developed, I, I realized at 18 that I had this congenital knee defect. And it became very difficult for me to walk and run because I, I couldn't, I had this tremendous pain in both of my knees. The Air Force wanted to operate. I said, no, thanks. I'll consider that when I can't walk until then, not going to happen. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the state is now, but back then, you would hear of the uh, like professional basketball players having arthroscopic knee surgery every two years. They'd go in there, they'd have to go back in, they'd have to go back in. I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'm putting myself into that mm-hmm. cycle. You know, I'll, I'll limp before I'm, I'm ever going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I was in Colorado and I love to ski, but I had to wear these big braces on my knees to ski mm-hmm. because I had this knee problem. And a few years ago, at the age of 56, I took up surfing a a board. I've been a body surfer my whole Mm -hmm. life, but I learned how to surf a surfboard. It's the same action as skiing, but I no longer need braces on my knees. Oh, wow. Wow. So my body works better now, Mm -hmm. you know, at 58 almost than it did when I was was 18. Oh, wow. Wow. So that's a good... uh... Um, message to everybody it's never too late and and you can always start your dream sport at any age as long as you have what we now have the definition of optimal health um, that's right. I think touching upon something you mentioned before I think our, our standards of health are just on the floor they're like they're, they're non-existent and because I'm, I'm sad to say that, that uh, from my experience I see so many elderly people that they assume that because they're getting older age-wise they their eyesight will get worse. They will be right. tired, lethargic, PMS, um, migraines, mood swings, and it's everybody's taking pills from the country you're from, America. Like it's the pill industry. When yeah. you go to uh, like continents like Africa, like elderly people are still in a squat position all day, or 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 yeah. with one leg doing like tree posts in some uh, communities. Or you go to Venezuela to the Amazon, and they're also squatting and they're lifting their body, their body weight twice or whatever. I think it's just uh, this pandemic. And then obviously, yeah. they always, as you said, they will always have the excuse like, no, it's age or it's, it's a genetic thing that I had inherited. So it takes, it kind of like the doctors or the allopathic system has taken away responsibility from us and given it to them. And to That's the, right. And we become yeah. victims of our own environment, I guess. Well, you know, I, I, one of the things I would, I would suggest, Jose, and I, I agree with almost everything you said, just one little tiny tweak. And I think when we're talking about, especially, you know, the, the spiritual piece, we're talking about awakening. Yeah. That, re- that requires being willing to take full responsibility. Extreme so here's what, I, here's, what I, here's what I would say. Um, the, the medical system hasn't taken away responsibility. We've given it away. We've given it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've let them have it. You know, people, I think, are glad to give it to somebody else. And that's foolish. And, and, and it's, you know, it's quite dangerous. And mm-hmm. this is why, you know, I haven't seen a doctor in, in many years and don't intend to. And I, I literally tell my clients, um, listen, when you go home, I want you to find a beautiful bouquet of flowers and a nice card. I want you to send it to your doctor 
and I want you to write on it, you know, thank you for everything. It's mm -hmm. been nice knowing you. I'll never see you again. <laughs> okay. Because doctors aren't going to help you. They, I mean, you know, here's the thing. Most doctors are good people who mean mm -hmm. well and they want to help, but they've been trained in a system that doesn't work period. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, you can't, make the body more toxic by taking, you know, poisonous drugs and every single drug is toxic to the body and expect to become healthier. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. All you're ever doing is suppressing symptoms. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, and I, this is where I'm probably going to step on a few toes, but alternatives are no different. Herbs are toxic substances. Drugs came from herbs. They were always toxic. The herbs are toxic too. You can, you know, if you're listening here and you, you want to argue with me, Google toxicity of put in any herb you want. Okay, here's, here's a simple fact. Every organism on the planet wants to survive, to reproduce. The, the, the goal of the organism is to propagate, okay? That's, that's the biological uh, you know, mandate, is to propagate, to make as many copies of yourself as possible. In order for a plant to do that, it has to survive. No plant wants to be consumed, not one. And so what plants do, uh, herbs, medicinal herbs, uh, well, let's start with culinary herbs. Culinary herbs are a class of plants that produce alkaloids that give them their specific smell and taste mm -hmm. in order to warn their insect predators or their primary predators that they are toxic, mm -hmm. to leave them alone, okay? Medicinal herbs, and we come along and say, oh, that smells nice, I think I'll eat that. Now, because we're large enough, you know, where I think I actually did the research, we are, if I remember correctly, 100,000 times the size of the average insect. Mm -hmm. body size and mass, 100,000 times is the average. Uh, so because we're 100,000 times bigger than the average insect, and that's average. You know, in the Amazon, mm -hmm. there's a butterfly that has a three-foot wingspan. I don't know about you. If I see a three-foot butterfly flying at me, I'm running fast. Yeah, it seems like from Jurassic Park, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that sounds a little scary. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, most insects are relatively small things. And so the, the concentration of poison needed to keep them from eating the food is, is much lower than it would need to be for us. And that means you can eat basil, a culinary herb, a little bit in your food, and most people will feel fine. Okay, my body's clean enough that I actually feel it a little bit. But you know, anyone, if you're listening, take, take a big bowl of basil, throw in some tomatoes, have a basil salad, not, not some basil in your salad, have a basil salad. I guarantee you, you will not feel well because it's toxic. And if you eat enough of it, you'll actually feel that. It just depends on how much of it you eat. Mm -hmm. So medicinal herbs, on the other hand, are very similar, except that they taste and smell so bad, no one would ever consider eating them. Anything that tastes and smells so bad, people think, that must be good for me, right? The famous bitters for the, for the liver or whatever. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, people think, well, if it tastes bitter, it's, you know, it, bitter foods are medicinal foods. Medicinal foods are bitter because we taste bitter We can taste bitter so we know what not to eat because things that are bitter are typically toxic to us. Mm. Okay, so I don't eat bitter foods in, in you know, very, very few exceptions. I can't think of any, but I mean, might happen every once in a while, but typically there's none, none here. We don't keep them. We don't eat them. There's no reason for them. You know, and, and you want to understand that all these things can do is treat symptoms. They're all toxic to us. And again, this is something you can fairly easily research. I, I have a book somewhere called Peterson's Field Guide to North American Herbs. Mm -hmm. And it's all the, you know, all the medicinal and culinary herbs that grow in North America. And somewhere early in the book, there's a, 
a disclaimer. It says something like, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it's probably been 25 years since I've actually read this, mm -hmm. but it says something like, warning, every plant in this book is toxic. Oh, well. Okay, this is why an herbalist will tell you, you can use this plant to, you know, to eliminate this condition, whatever, but only a certain quantity or only a certain number of days in a row. And, you know, and think about this with me for a second. Echinacea, you can use echinacea to uh, avoid getting, you know, if you start to catch cold, you can use echinacea to, mm -hmm. to eliminate cold. They say it boosts your immune system. Yeah, I disagree. What boosts your immune system is getting enough sleep, getting enough sunlight, eating properly, get, drinking the water you need, etc. That's what boosts your immune system. It, it, when you uh, boost, you know, maybe that's the key. Because if you eat something toxic, your immune system kicks in and now it's working hard. Oh, look, your immune system is, is you know, is working hard. It will, it will be almost like the cold water therapy with Wim Hof, right? Kind of like a, uh, well, cold water activates your, uh, um, your immune system and you get uh, stronger and healthier, but it's because you're actually activating the, the immune system with, a, with, a, like a, with a foreign herb or in this case, that's water, right. which, which is like a threat, let's say. Yeah, that, that's, that's right. Um, and, you know, these, these things are not helping you. And I mean, we, we see people here every year, uh, 50 of them who tried. I mean, in some cases, they're spending hundreds of dollars a month or more on herbs for years, and they have not gotten healthier. You know, sometimes they, they've been able to suppress symptoms to some extent. They may feel a little better, but they still have the underlying issue. And, you know, we take people through a process we haven't really gotten into yet that actually allows the body to heal. And so there's no need for those substances. I mean, in, in, you know, in the 31 years that I've gone without being sick a day, I've eaten no herbs. I don't, I don't use herbs, medicinal herbs. I mean, culinary herbs, you know, if I eat at a raw vegan restaurant, there might be some. Um, but I, we don't, I don't, no medicinal herbs, no supplements, no superfoods, no green smoothies, no green juices. I eat whole food. Mm -hmm. like every other species on the planet. Mm. I mean, 25 and a half million animal species go out into their environment where they, where they live, where they're you know, supposed to be, not the ones we've, where, you know, we've taken away from that, but the ones who live in nature, and they eat the whole foods that their bodies are designed for. That's all they need. That's what works perfectly well. They mm -hmm. don't need to do anything else. You know, they, they live at a much higher level of health than most human beings do. Mm. Okay. Um, so is the key to all this madness fasting? And if so, what is, what is fasting? What, what can we define as fasting? Well, fa fasting is, I don't know if it's the key. It may be the key for many people, given where people are. Mm -hmm. It was the key for me, given where I had brought myself to. But, you know, I, I can imagine a scenario. I mean, my, one of my intentions, mm -hmm. as I think you know, I'm working on uh, creating a community, an intentional community here in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. where, you know, imagine raising a whole generation of children who only ever breathed fresh air and were never exposed to Wi-Fi and other dangerous electromagnetic radiation. I mean, we're going to have, we're going to have power. So there'll be some of that, but you know, much less, much healthier in home environments because today for most people growing up in cities all over the world, they're being exposed to tons of toxic radiation all the time smart meters and cell phone towers and Wi-Fi in their own homes as well as their neighbors. So here mm -hmm. we have no Wi-Fi and we have almost no cell phone signal where I live. And I'm very glad about that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, you know, having those things, having no processed foods, having only whole foods, only organic foods, everything we're, we, we're doing is organic and will be. 
um, having only clean water, you know, none of the crap that people drink. You know, what, what would happen, you know, having, you know, having a culture where people spend much of their time outdoors and physically active. And that's a significant part of a child's education is, you know, today in North America, they're taking away physical education because there isn't enough money to pay phys ed teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, isn't enough money. Well, there's enough money if they weren't spending it all on rockets and bombs. But, you know, instead mm -hmm. they, 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 they're, you know, it's just a question of priorities. Um, you know, for me, the priorities are very simple and we, we need to protect our own health and, and especially the health of our children. So raising uh, children that way, they would probably never need to fast as long as they stayed in that environment. But having grown up, you know, you know in the real world, uh, so to speak, and having, uh, at least from the time I was uh, in adolescence, having begun to consume all kinds of garbage, um, and having spent a lot of time in chlorinated pools, my body needed a chance to detoxify and reset. And today, most people, I think, are in the same position. I mean, so far, we've never had a single person fast here. Uh, Tanglewood's now 22 years old. I've been coaching people for 27 years, but Tanglewood uh, will be 22 in March, and which is uh, coming up soon. We're mm. now towards the end of January. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, thank you. And we've never had a single person not significantly as a result of fasting, as long as they fasted long enough and were willing to follow directions. Not everyone is willing to follow directions. Uh, many people fast on their own and don't have such wonderful results. And so, you know, doing it properly is the key. It's like anything else. Um, it's a natural process. However, we've lost touch with it. I mean, most people know nothing about fasting. If you were to walk out into the street in any city in North America or Europe and, you know, and, and tell a hundred people that, you know, what do you think of going 21 days or more without eating? You know, they would ask, you know, they would think you're crazy. Why would you want to die? Why would you want to starve? How can that be beneficial to you? That's what I would even go to one day without eating. They will, or even skipping one meal, skip breakfast. They'll be like, "Oh my god, crazy!" That's right. Well, you know, my my standard joke about this is that you know most people think if they skip lunch, they'll probably die, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, of course, the the truth is that the average human being today has a six to eight week reserve of nutrients that they could go six to eight weeks fasting properly and be perfectly fine. But but most people, you know, you can't imagine that because they've never experienced that. Uh, many people as soon as they skip one meal, they start to feel bad. And they believe that what they're experiencing is hunger. And yet most of the symptoms that most people experience have nothing to do with hunger. It's not the body's need for food. What's happening when someone doesn't eat is their body begins to detoxify. And that's mm -hmm. what they're experiencing. That's why people feel weak and tired and grouchy and dizzy and all. The, I mean, imagine that you lived in the tropical jungle right, where we're from, and you needed to go climb a tree, you know, to grab, jump up, grab a branch, pull yourself up into the tree, and in order to eat, that's what you needed to do. And yet, when you're hungry, you feel so weak and so dizzy and so tired, you can't move. I don't think you do very well. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think we do very well as a species if that's what hunger was. Hunger has nothing to do with those symptoms. And, mm -hmm. you know, believe it or not, I mean, because it's, I've, I fasted now dozens of times, uh, more than three years of my life cumulatively. Uh, I have um, been, been following what I believe is the optimal diet now for more than 27 years. And because of this, I never experienced those common symptoms of hunger unless 
I make a poor choice. I mean, unless I have, you know, unless sometimes it's, it's a gourmet raw vegan meal at a restaurant when I'm on a lecture tour. I was uh, four weeks ago on Friday, I returned from a lecture tour and had been out for five and a half weeks, um, did events in, in, you know, I did raw vegan, you know, like meals, events where there were raw vegan meals involved, gourmet meals. Uh, there were four of them in Israel at, at restaurants where I was speaking, there was a meal involved and I, I eat the food on there. You know, it's, I mean, it's like, it's my event, which seemed kind of weird to me to say, yeah, I don't eat this stuff. Um, we do it because it attracts people. You know, the idea is to bring people in so they can get the message. And for me, it's, it's a, you know, for many people, it might be the healthiest meal they've eaten in a long time. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a significant compromise and I don't feel as good the next day, but I also bounce back very quickly. So it doesn't, it doesn't really affect me too badly, but you know, it's, I mean, you can, you can tell, you can sense it in the body. You can feel what it is when your body's clean enough. So the only time I'll have those normal hunger symptoms is if I eat a meal like that. Um, then, you know, then the next day I might have some of that, the stomach-based symptoms that most people think are hunger, but they're not. Mm-hmm. They're the stomach cleansing and healing. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the irony. If your stomach could actually speak to you and you have those symptoms, you know, if you could interpret them correctly in stomach language, it would be saying, Jose, please don't eat. Mm-hmm. I've got some Stop. important work going on here. Don't, don't put anything in the mouth because I need to heal the stomach. Mm-hmm. And people feel that and they go, oh, I'm hungry. And they eat. And as soon as they eat, your body only has really three choices, right? Eject the food, A, up, B, down, or C, do the work of processing it. And mm-hmm. if the body has to do the work of processing it, then whatever cleansing or healing was happening in the stomach stops. Mm-hmm. And that's why the symptoms go away. Mm-hmm. But it never had anything to do with hunger. Mm. So when was your first fast? And how, how was it? What kind of fast was it? Well, uh, let's back up. So I grew up fasting one day a year. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, my, my parents are Jewish. My family's Jewish. I'm Jewish, I'm not religious. But yeah, I, so I grew up fasting for Yom Kippur one day every year. And when I Later on in my early 20s, you know, mid 20s, 26, I'm, I'm given up on medicine. I'm looking for a way to get healthy. I change my diet. I come across a book called Rational Fasting by, by Professor, Professor Arnold. Arnold. I was going to ask and, you about him now, yeah. Yeah. Well, he was, he was my first mentor. I mean, I've, you know, I've since moved on and believe that uh, Eric was great, made a lot of mistakes. Um, I, you know, I don't consider him the, um, the master. I wouldn't say that his, you know, his word is the last word. But I learned a lot from him, mm-hmm. and he got me started on the path, and I'm forever grateful to that for to, to him for that. But um, you know, here he was talking about people going weeks without food, and while it sounded a little crazy to me, it also made sense in a you know in a certain way. But I I really didn't know if it was possible to go two days without eating. I knew it was possible to go one day because I'd done that on various occasions. But you know, I didn't know if I could go two. So I I uh, parked myself close to the refrigerator just in case. And I fasted for two days. Mm. And when I survived that, I fasted for four days. Because, you know, again, keep in mind, this was all happening more than 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for, for some of the younger people here listening, uh, this may be hard to imagine, but we had no internet. What? <laughs> yeah. You know, what we're doing right now wasn't possible. There was no Google. There was no YouTube. There was no Facebook. So it wasn't so easy to find information. You know, we had a search engine. It was called the Yellow Pages, right? And you <laughs> open up the phone book and you go to fasting and it said nothing. There was nothing there. 
So it never even occurred to me to like to go to the library and do some research. I mean, I, I, I could have found that there were some places, but I didn't know that. And so I was literally on my own with a book written by a guy who'd been dead for years. And I was on my own. And, you know, I, I worked my way up from two days to four days to eight days, et cetera, until I was fasting weeks at a time. Now, I made a lot of mistakes. I probably could have shortened my path. Which was the and, biggest mistake that you will always remember if anybody's listening? Like that one mistake that is like, no, no. Well, to be honest, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's not, it's not like I'm, I'm fortunate because it's not like I had any really dramatic things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, people sometimes die. Mm -hmm. uh, this happens. Um, it's not, it's not, I mean, it's not common, but it happens sometimes. And it can happen anywhere. I mean, fasting, you know, going without food for, for three to six weeks, which is what's typical here at Tanglewood, that's a serious thing that everyone should take seriously. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like it's no big deal. It's a big deal mm -hmm. to go without food for, for weeks at a time. Um, it, there's always some risk involved. Uh, done properly, we minimize risk. But of course, most people who don't know what they're doing don't do it properly. And so there's a greater likelihood of, of serious harm when people fast on their own. Um, for me, I, I was fortunate because I never had any really horrible experiences, but you know, there were some like, um, learning how much water was necessary. Um, I, you know, I, there were times I didn't drink nearly enough water. And what kind and of I, water, I guess, also, right? Yeah. Um, I understood early on that, uh, you know, tap water was garbage. Uh, <laughs> I experimented briefly with distilled water and, and did not resonate with it at all. And, uh, you know, so I, you, you use, what kind of water is like the one you suggest or you use? Well, what we do here, in fact, you know, one of the reasons we're on this site is because this site has a spring and uh, Costa Rica is known, you know, it's famous for its, its uh, nearly perfect water. And so we use the perfect spring water that comes up out of the ground here. Is it and, filtered uh, at all? Well, we, we run it through a paper filter, a, a sediment filter, only to remove any sediment because it's coming out of the ground. You know, there might be some silt in it, okay. rock silt or sand, whatever. We filter that out. But otherwise, no. We have it tested every few months because, because it's coming out of the ground, conditions can change. And so we have it tested uh, like four times a year to make sure that it's still optimal. It always has been close to perfect. There was one time where it showed, a, like five years ago, it showed a high level of uh, bacteria in it. And um, we switched to reverse osmosis water. We got it tested a month later and the water was back to, to how it had been before. Mm -hmm. Zero coliform bacteria. Um, very low turbidity, uh, relatively low total dissolved solids. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's still water. People think it should be zero. That's nonsense. We actually need to have those inorganic minerals in the water because water can't cross cell membranes unless it's uh, unless it's got electrolytes. Well, it for, also can't conduct electricity. For me, always distilled water. Like I, I don't own a machine or anything like that, but I've always thought like we've never used to have a distilled system in our in our in. No. And back in the day, I can't imagine our ancestors having a, a home distillation system. So it right. that doesn't add into this natural way of healing. No, that's right. And, you know, I mean, listen, I, I don't know if we want to go down this, this path because this can be a, mm -hmm. a thorny thing. I mean, you know, there are people here that are, you know, we've probably pushed some buttons already. Um, you know, the still water ad advocates say that rain is distilled water. But folks, do a little bit of research. That's simply not the case. Um, just very simply and quickly, mm -hmm. water in steam. So in a, in a distiller, you boil the water, 
the steam rises. It hits a stainless steel condenser plate. It condenses. It, it, uh, you know, it rolls down the plate until it drips off into a second container where you have clean, mm -hmm. you know, theoretically pure water. Um, however, in the air, the moisture in the air does not condense. There's no condenser plate in the sky. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess, you know, they should, the, the still water people and the flat earth people, if they get together, then, you know, I guess the, the water in the air will, would condense out when it hits the, the, the dome over top mm -hmm. of the flat plane that we live on. But if you believe mm -hmm. that, um, I don't believe that. I believe science. And so when, uh, what's, what's actually happening is, you know, as, for instance, as air cools at night, you get dew, but the dew condenses out onto something. It, it has to be in contact with the solid surface, a solid molecule. In the air, precipitation forms, and I'm a permaculture, certified permaculture instructor, so we know a little bit about, about creating rain. And you can create rain by planting enough trees because one of the primary ways to seed rain clouds is through tree pollen. Mm. When there's pollen in the air, the, the water vapor will condense around the pollen molecule. Every raindrop has inside of it, has, you know, every droplet of, of precipitation contains a solid molecule of mineral from the air, pollen, dust, or pollution. Mm -hmm. Something, only something. It's never distilled. Never, that makes ever. sense. I can't imagine rain being this uh, laboratory distilled water. You know, it just doesn't add up. It, it's either pollution, as you said, or pollen, hopefully from beautiful organic trees in Costa Rica. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, nowadays, I'm like, I go on YouTube or Facebook and there's so many people, vegans or not vegans, whatever, just people that are taking uh, health into their hands, talking about different uh, modalities of fasting. There is right. water fasting, which we've been exploring now. Right. Uh, dry fasting and then there's intermittent fasting. Uh, could you just yeah. give a, a quick uh, overview of these other two, dry and intermittent fasting? Sure, sure. Uh, and maybe your opinion, like what, what are your thoughts on, on it? Uh, of course, yeah. Um, so I'm not sure uh, where you'd like to start, but let's start with dry fasting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So dry, fa dry fasting advocates will tell you a few things. First of all, they'll say that every animal in nature uh, will fast without drinking water. And that is usually the case. It's not always the case. Um, Animals in nature will typically fast without needing to drink anything. The reason why is very simple. They've eaten their natural diet their entire lives. Okay. They, they also don't do hot yoga or CrossFit. Okay. They don't go into saunas. Uh, you know, on a hot, on a hot day here in, in the tropics, you know, around noon, it gets pretty quiet. Like early in the morning, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, the, it, the, jungle here we live in the forest is teeming with life you can hear the birds and the animals everyone's active when it starts to get warm enough everyone rests right the the nature's siesta and they wait for it to start to cool off again i mean all across the world there are squirrels sitting in trees across the street from from uh, bikram yoga studios thinking look at those silly people going into a, a purposely hot room to work, why don't they wait till it's cool? Why would they do that? That's silly, that makes no sense. Um, people sweat a lot when they do that, okay? It's, you know, it's an issue. So when animals are fasting and they're dehydrated for whatever reason, they seek water. Uh, pets will often drink water because they're usually fed dry food and so they're dehydrated. I mean, most people here at Tanglewood for the last 12 plus years, 
Oh, I take it back. It's been more than 13 years now. We've been measuring hydration levels and we've measured close to 4,000 people's level of hydration. And most people are severely dehydrated. Mm -hmm. and, and the people that come here, by the way, are, are not average people. I mean, these aren't the people who are eating McDonald's and all the junk crap. These are people who are conscious about their health in most cases and are doing better than most people do. And yet we see the average person being about 15% more poorly dehydrated than is possible. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we, can, we can get into that and I think it's important, maybe we mm -hmm. should. But yeah, so- uh, we'll, And let's we'll just stop. say something there. I'm sure they're having plenty of water throughout the day. So still they're dehydrated regardless of them drinking water, right? Well, uh, in, in many cases, yeah, that's right. But, you know, so animals in nature, if they eat their, their natural diet, I mean, first of all, notice that animals eat their natural diet and they also drink water sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So, for, you know, I know a lot of people who, who live on a fruit-based diet and they think, well, there's enough water in fruit, so I, they don't drink water anymore. Mm -hmm. We've measured the hydration level of a lot of those people and they're often the most dehydrated people here. Well, the people who eat fruit but don't drink water, okay? And that's because... If you've eaten a conventional diet your whole life, I mean, let, let's make this really simple. Mm -hmm. Stool on average, okay, poop on average is 75% water. Mm -hmm. And yet most of the food that most people eat is closer to 50% water or less. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that every time the average person eats normal meal, they're losing water from the body. Mm. They're losing some water. Okay. And so... This is what makes people dehydrated over time. Most people become more and more dehydrated as they get older. Um, Jose, you're the only one here, you and I, that can see me. You know, at, at uh, getting closer and closer to 60, I have almost no wrinkles on my face. I mean, most people my age don't have soft, supple skin that's not unwrinkled. And that's because they're pretty dehydrated. Mm -hmm. We see, in fact, you know, it's interesting. About, well, in December, it was a year ago. I got an email from a woman who was visiting Costa Rica and she said, Lauren, I'm a big fan. I watch all your videos. I'm visiting Costa Rica. I would love to come by and meet you and see the center. I said, sure, come on. You know, we, we agreed to a day. I said, why don't you come for lunch? We were closed at the time. So I said, come on up. We can, we can talk for a couple hours and we can have lunch and talk and then you can be on your way. And she actually wound up staying here for a few days, paying to stay here. But we sat down that first day. Uh, to, have, to share a watermelon. It was she and I and a volunteer here, the three of us sat down mm -hmm. with a big watermelon. And she said, can I have a bowl to spit the fiber into? And I said, okay, uh, but why don't you swallow it? She said, well, I can't. I can only swallow liquid. She said, I think it's because I'm so hydrated. I said, that, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. It doesn't make any sense, okay? Now, not only that, but by this point in the conversation, uh, I had I'd learned, I had asked her how old she was. When she arrived, I thought, oh, what a nice little old lady. She looked like she was around 75, okay? She was completely covered. Her face was all wrinkled. She wore a low-cut blouse, and the skin here on her chest was sort of sagging on her arms and legs. You know, had all this loose skin. Um, you know, again, I, unfortunately, listeners can't see me. I think you can attest I, to the fact I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to upload the video so, uh, okay. so listeners can, can see and, and have a visual of what you're explaining. I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, might, might be useful. But, but in any case, um, what, what I learned was that she was actually a month, I can't remember now if she was a month older or a month younger than me. Oh, well. But she looked a lot older. I mean, at the, at the time I was uh, 56, 
And, you know, she was 56. And I, I honestly thought she was nearly 20 years older. Mm-hmm. Um, she then told me that she had been living on juicy fruit for 31 years. Mm. Okay. And, um, and, and, she, and she was saying, you know, she thinks it's because she's so hydrated. And I, and I said, no, I don't think so. In fact, she said, I can't swallow fiber because I'm so well hydrated. I said, no, nah, that doesn't make sense. I said, and honestly, you know, we're the same age. All the wrinkles on your face tell me you're not as well hydrated as you think you are. And she said, no, how's that possible? I've been living on juicy fruit for 31 years and dry fasting. And I said, well, tell you what, when we're done, why don't we take your vital signs? And I can show you from your, your vital signs that you're, you didn't in the last 24 hours, you haven't gotten the water you need. Your blood volume is lower than it should be, which means nothing's going to function very well. Uh, she agreed. And then from there, I said, you know, let me put you on this device where we can actually measure your hydration levels of bio, a sophisticated $500 bioimpedance scale. And she agreed. And she was, you know, much more poorly hydrated uh, than I am, than, than many people are. Mm. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious this is what happens. And so even when someone's eating a perfect diet, okay, you know, if you've eaten uh, just a few years ago, there was a study published in Denmark that said the average person is walking around. It, it's typical to have five to 10 kilos of old material in your system. Yeah. At Tanglewood, every client who follows directions eliminates kilos and kilos of old hard material. And Without- it's obvious. Colonics or enemas? Or no, 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 no. No colonics, no enemas. We don't, uh, you know, I do not believe in manipulating the body unless it's absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. I believe our bodies are virtually perfect. And as long as we give them the space they need and the time they need, they can take care of themselves. Enemas and colonics are actually flushing out beneficial bacteria, weakening the, the bowel muscle, uh, altering the pH of the system, and Herbert Shelton, I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. that, you know I, I believe was the, you know, the, the man really responsible for bringing fasting back to our culture in a large way. He experimented with fasting early in his career. He is said to have fasted more than 40,000 people, documented fasts. Uh, he experimented and found that people who used hydrotherapy had poorer elimination after the fast than people who did not. It makes perfect sense to me for the reasons I just stated. So we never use it here. I mean, we, we can make an enema available to somebody If they're in serious pain, they've got a large mass they can't eliminate because it's just too hard and dry. They're not capable of moving it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, an enema is one way to do it, but you don't want to become reliant on them. You know, if you give the body a crutch, the body will become dependent mm-hmm. on the crutch. Mm-hmm. So here we use them only as a last resort. There's no reason to do, you do this. You're, you know, people say, well, you, just, you, you use probiotics and you, you, you know, fecal implants. You put the stuff back in but it's much easier to let the body manage this than to try to manipulate it. You know, again, as I started to say before, every time you try to manipulate the body into creating a particular outcome, there are unintended negative side effects. Mm-hmm. So I do not recommend doing that. And here we don't do that at all. Okay. We simply work with the body and stay out of its way. And we have people eliminating pounds and pounds and pounds of old hard material, um, clearly distinct from the water, you know, as we were talking earlier, You have a, water, a papaya meal and it smells like papaya, right? You, know, it's, you can tell when what you're eliminating was just fruit or salad if your body's clean. What people are eliminating in this process is this old, hard, stinky material. It's often painful and difficult to eliminate. Um, you know, if, you're, if your body's clean, you're eating well. It doesn't even have to be that clean. If you're eating well for long enough, your bowel movements will be quick, easy, painless, clean, and odor-free. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, then there's, there's something else in there besides fruit and salad. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. okay. So we can see this happening. So um, dry fasting, you say no, you don't, you don't. Well, here, here's the thing. And let, let me say, let me say just a little bit more if that's okay, mm-hmm. because I think it's important. Um, you know, so people say this is what happens in nature. It happens when animals are hydrated. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing a full day seminar in Dansk, Poland, and a man raised his hand and said, I'm a veterinarian. Uh, when animals are dehydrated, they, they drink water when fasting. Um, you know, so most animals are hydrated because they don't have this old sponge, this, mm-hmm. this old hard material sitting there soaking up water. Mm-hmm. They, they stay hydrated by eating the diet their body was intended for because every natural diet is high in water content. Mm-hmm. An animal that eats animals bites through the jugular vein, drinks all the blood, tears it open, eats the water-rich internal organs, and then eats the muscle without cooking all the water out of it first or putting it mm-hmm. between two dried pieces of bread. Mm-hmm. Okay, Only humans are taking... You know, nature's perfect foods and cooking all and processing all the water out of it mm-hmm. so that we're eating this dry stuff. You can't, you know, you can't eat food in some case. You can't eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without drinking something. Mm-hmm. You can't get it down. No one needs to drink water to get the watermelon down. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so, you know, yes, most animals uh, dry fast uh, because they don't need water. They're already hydrated. And so as the body breaks down fat, it's making water, uh, not just dry fasting as dry fasting, you know, dry fasting people say, well, when we dry fast, the body manufactures water. No, when we fast, when the body breaks down fat, it's making water. But in the average dehydrated body, that won't be enough to give the body everything it needs. And so when people dry fast, they do not eliminate this old hard material because there's not enough water to hydrate it. It's not going to come out of the body unless it's hydrated. In fact, one of the things people say is, well, you know, my, all the mucus and inflammation disappeared. Well, yeah, no surprise because uh, mucus is 95% water. And if your body is literally struggling to stay alive because of dehydration, it's not going to be producing mucus because the body produces mucus, not because you ate something bad, but because you ate something and your body said, there's nasty stuff in that. Let's make some mucus on purpose so we can encapsulate things that don't belong in the body and easily eliminate them, okay? The, the mucus is something the body's doing on purpose to help keep you clean and healthy. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not like the body is a machine. That like The mucus isn't, this is a, an Eret problem, right? Mm-hmm. Eret made it sound like the mucus was the problem. No, it's actually part of the body's solution. Okay. If you're eating foods that have you constantly making mucus, then you're part of the problem, right? Your diet is, is, uh, is not, not optimal. But the mucus isn't the problem. It's actually part of the solution. So the body can't make mucus if it's dehydrated. Mm -hmm. Inflammation is caused by the body bringing blood and lymph flow to an area that needs to heal. Mm -hmm. Doing this on purpose, taking that stuff away, um, you know, there's no better way to eliminate inflammation than via fasting. But dry dry fasting eliminates it faster, but it's not healing. It's eliminating the inflammation because there's there's not enough fluid available for inflammation to happen. And so symptoms go away. It's a way of suppressing symptoms because everything happens with water. Water is the universal transport medium. Mm -hmm. So all the detoxification processes that are happening through the five primary channels of detoxification, uh, urine, uh, feces, sweat, breath, and mucous membranes, all five of these channels require water. Without sufficient water, nothing's leaving the body. People feel better because they shut off the detox process, not because they're, they're ramping it up. It's not three times faster. The body goes into ketosis three times faster 
because it's searching for water. The only way it can get water is by, you know, the way it can make the most water is by switching over to consuming fat. And so the body does that right away in a dehydrated body. You take a, a fully hydrated body and dry fast it, and it does not go into ketosis any faster. Mm -hmm. There's no magical processes. The cells don't become incinerators and burn up toxins. That's absurd. Okay, that's, it's not possible. There's so, and there's no science to support any of those claims. Okay. None. Okay. Anyway, okay. So, so dry fasting, no. You know, an animal doesn't, an animal never says, I think I'll dry fast. An animal instinctively stops eating, and if it needs water, it seeks water. Mm -hmm. okay. Okay. People say, well, dry hair, dry fasting is more powerful, so I'm not going to drink any water, even though I'm dying of thirst. Like, I've got this incredible thirst, but I'm not going to drink water. Mm. This is not very smart. Okay. This is people who are, who are divorced from their body's sensations and intelligence. Okay. Okay. You know, I, I believe the only way we're ever going to create an amazing level of health is reconnecting to the body's intelligence. Your body is virtually infinitely intelligent and knows exactly what it needs. And if your body says, hey, I'm thirsty, the best thing you can do is to drink some water. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. So um, intermittent fasting, what, what is it and uh, what's your take on it? Well, intermittent fasting started with something called alternate day fasting, mm -hmm. where people would eat one day, fast the next, eat one day, fast the next. Um, many people found that there were health benefits to doing this. Now, in a one day fast, uh, very little is, you know, very little deep cleansing is happening. It's a very surface level, mm -hmm. superficial type of cleanse it actually takes 10 to 11 days to get to the deepest part of the fasting process which is why our average fast here is 26 days um 26 days, so okay. 26 days is average we book people by the week you know you can come and spend one week here and fast for five or two weeks and fast for for 11 and three weeks or fast for 16 very few people come for less than four weeks and fast less than 21 days and the average fast is 26 days right now i've got four people fasting for 40 days or more mm -hmm. uh, and uh, 20 more people that are doing anywhere from 21 to, you know, to 26, 30, 35 days. Um, intermittent fasting. What, what happened with these people alternate day fasting, you know, if they ate normally on the days they ate and they ate uh, nothing on the, on the fasting days, they would have cut their caloric consumption by 50%. But that's not what happened. In studies of people who were actually doing alternate day fasting, what the average person done, did was they ate 50% more on the days they were eating, which still means they were overall, they were consuming 75% as many calories as they had been before, before they began intermittent fasting, alternate day fasting. Mm, I believe most of the benefits came from the fact that they were reducing their overall caloric mm -hmm. intake because most people eat way too much. Okay. And, you know, there, there's, there's now hundreds of studies with animals. And I, I don't, by the way, I'm a 31-year vegan. Do not believe we have the right to use animals for research. Mm -hmm. But the studies are there, so I'm talking about them. Um, they show that you take an animal and dramatically restrict its caloric intake. And invariably, you know, I mean, as long as it's not starving, it'll live much longer, uh, up to 50% longer or more in some cases. Okay, that's, you know, that's huge. Imagine you could take the average person and get them to 50% longer. Well, guess what? You can. There are people who live to 120, even though the average person lives to 79, and it's going down now, average lifespan. So we can extend our life expectancy by 50%. And one of the most important things we can do is to eat less. Uh, I, I know a guy who wrote a book called Control for Life Extension. 
uh, a Russian man 20 years ago, and he gave me the book. And, and um, he, he talked about traveling around the world and interviewing centenarians, uh, people who live to at least 100 all over the world. And the only thing they had in common, some were vegetarians, some ate meat, some smoked, some drank. You know, the only thing they had in common was they all ate very few calories. That was the one thing they had in common mm. was a very low caloric intake. And so we, we know how powerful this is. Um, but alternate intermittent fasting now has come to mean a whole host of things. You know, anything that means you're not eating from sunrise to sundown. No, I take that back. From the moment you wake up until the moment you go to sleep, because many people wake up before sunrise and, and most people go to sleep way after sunset. And many people are eating the entire time. I mean, you know, today most people think of intermittent fasting as what they call 16-8. That's 16 hours of fasting and eight hours of eating, an eight-hour window. So you have your first meal at 10 o'clock in the morning and your last meal by 6 p.m. and you're intermittent fasting. And the first time I heard that, I thought, well, that's not fasting. That's for, for most of human history, most people on the planet could not afford to eat that many times per day. Mm -hmm. Most people had one meal at the most. They, they were not eating over and over again. And so, you know, this, this is not fasting by any stretch of the imagination. This is simply life, you know, as it happens. Um, and, in uh, fact, yeah. Yeah. What's, what's just uh, out of curiosity, what's your diet like? Because you say that most people eat like almost all their day light hours uh, eating. Right. So uh, what, right. what's your day like eating? Well, so as I, was, I was just about to say, you know, when I first heard about intermittent fasting, I said, oh, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. I mean, I didn't know it was fasting. <laughs> you know, if I, if I actually injure myself, I do a therapeutic fast. So I stop intermittent fasting and I stop eating completely for the three, five, seven, 10, 14, 21 days my body needs to heal whatever it is. And, you know, over the last uh, 20 years, I've broken, um, I, 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 so I like to engage, not as much as I used to, but I used to do a lot of rock climbing, you know, cliffs. Mm -hmm. um, I still ride motorcycles. Uh, I used to ski and I've been pulled over by ski patrols all over North America for skiing too fast. My buddies and I used to, to play tag on the mountains and they would stop us and say, you know, you, you're skiing too fast. You're going to hurt someone. Do that again. We're going to throw you off the mountain. Um, and so I've, I've broken bones doing these things. Uh, I've broken uh, seven fingers, two twice. I've broken both my knees, two ribs, um, two toes. And uh, just, just uh, I might have a little cat problem going on outside here. Uh, I may have to excuse myself in a minute. But um, we have uh, three cats, and one of them hates the, the youngest kitten, the, the, who's mm. a, a girl. And he just came down into the, the courtyard here. So I may have to. Okay, go, go for it. Well, I th so far it looks like it's it's maybe okay. Oh, yeah, yeah I think I think it's all right. I'm gonna leave it for now. Okay, open the door so she can get in if she wants to. Um, anyway, um, they, normally they get fed at the same time, and, and she's being fed now because mm -hmm. I'm here with you. Uh, neglected to do that, she normally eats it. Had already eaten and smelled the food and came in to uh, help himself, and she's not very happy about that. But mm -hmm. so far, so far they seem to be. Uh, coexisting in peace um anyway i so my typical day um uh, i wake up by by five o'clock most days uh, i start working and working out uh usually i do about three hours of skype consultations every morning uh sometimes more with clients all over the world and in between calls i'm working out doing push-ups and other exercises 
um, I'll usually start working with my staff. My staff starts coming in at six. So I'm usually consulting with the staff, giving them directions. We have 15 employees here. Um, and let's see, I, I, by the time I do my last call at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, I finish at 1030. I go give a lecture for an hour. And then I see all my clients here do vital signs and talk to each person about what's going on for them. And then, you know, the rest of the day unfolds. Uh, I have my breakfast when I'm finished with my clients. So breakfast for me is usually sometime between one and two o'clock in the afternoon, usually closer to two in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. That's my first meal today. I've already been awake and functioning for nine hours. Have you been drinking water throughout the morning? Well, um, you've probably noticed that I've taken a couple sips. Mm -hmm. Um, I've already, uh, been on the phone, you know, for, for a couple hours today. And so when I'm talking for hours, I'll sip little tiny bits of water. Uh, on average, I'll probably drink two or three glasses of water per week. Mm, okay. Per week. But, but notice that we've measured thousands of people's hydration and I'm the most hydrated person we've measured so far. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I, I believe that we can get most of our water from our food if the body's clean and mm. hydrated. Okay. So okay. getting the body clean and hydrated means you don't need to drink much. I keep a glass of water here. I, I rarely drink from it. It's sometimes I'll change it because it's been sitting there for three or four days. Um, I'll have a, a second meal around six o'clock most days. Mm-hmm. And so um, the first meal might be uh, a small round watermelon. Um, that could be 600 calories or so, 700 calories. Uh, the second meal might be a, a green salad two or three times a week, which is going to be no more than four or 500 calories usually. Um, the, or it could be a couple of papayas, or it could be you know, four or five mangoes. Uh, right now I have a small, a small rack of my favorite Cuban red bananas sitting over there. Oh, wow. I, love, I love those bananas. Are you growing yeah. any durian in your land? Because I know Costa Rica is becoming a hotspot for durian now. Well, uh, we have... Um, I think we currently have four or five varieties of durian growing wow. here trees, but we're, I mean, durian can take 10 to 12 years. Yeah, to yeah, 10, yeah. And we, we've only started planting the trees in the last couple of years. When mm-hmm. I, when I got, I've been on this site now for, I think, I think it'll be six years in March. Okay. We've, we've been here. When we got here, um, there was, there was no landscaping. We had space for five guests. Um, the place was so ugly that the first two times someone brought me here to see it, I said, no, no, I can't possibly live there. It's too ugly. Um, and then failing to find something that worked better. I came back and looked around and thought, okay. I mean, I'd already done like 15 or 16 renovation projects and so big projects. I mean, Mm -hmm. other three other locations were that I made Tanglewood, you know, we used as a center to to house up to, uh, to 25 or 30 people. And, I used to own small apartment buildings when I was in the U.S. Uh, and so, you know, I renovated those buildings. And I, I used to buy and sell houses. And so I looked at this and thought, okay, it's going to be a big project, but we can make it work. So mm-hmm. we went from housing five guests to now housing 26 guests plus four volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've added a beautiful yoga studio. We've added two thatch-roofed ranchos. We've completely rebuilt the pool and, and uh, built and, and renovated many outbuildings. Um, it's been a big project. So the point is that uh, planting fruit trees wasn't a very high priority initially. I mean, it, it should be a big priority, but we had so much else to do just to make the place mm-hmm. workable. Makes sense. Uh, we, need, we needed to focus on those things. And all of the time and money went into those projects initially. 
for the last few years, we've been planting trees. Um, and we're now, we don't have a lot of space left. We're on uh, 10 acres, four hectares here. We've, uh, we've planted a lot of fruit trees, more than 110 varieties of fruit here now. Um, but we don't have a lot more space. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we have a contract to purchase the farm next door, which is 11 more hectares, uh, mm, well, 27 okay. acres. And that's a lot of its forest. And we'll leave that alone. But on the pasture there, we can probably plant around 10,000 more trees. Oh, wow. And so, um, Amazing. you know, yeah, we're, we're waiting for a bank loan. I mean, it's, it's taking forever. One of the, one of the uh, things about being here in, in Central America is things take a long time. Things take a while. Um, so for the audience or anybody that could be listening to this, um, in like in, like in small words, uh, who is fasting for? Who is it not for? And can they start doing like short fast by themselves? Is there like a quick guide to fasting so they can prepare their body, I guess, if they're well, far so, away so from first of all, America? Yeah. So first of all, anybody can start with intermittent fasting, right? And, and although, I mean, you can do 16-8, uh, you know, I mean, again, listen, if, you know, if you're eating from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to sleep, that's not a good idea. Your body wants as much rest as possible mm -hmm. through the digestive tract. I once had a client who literally told me she woke up every two hours. She ate every two hours, oh, 20, wow. all day long, 24 hours a day. Um, she, she's now dead before she was 65, and that's not a successful strategy for anyone. And it's not a surprise either. <clears throat> yeah, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. So I'd encourage people to eat no more than twice a day, uh, ideally within a six-hour window. Mine is typically four hours, but six is much better than eight. Um, anyone can start doing that today. And that's a powerful thing simply by giving the body 18 hours every day to begin healing a little bit, to begin mm -hmm. cleansing a little bit. That's mm -hmm. a good way to get started. Anybody can do short fasts of a few days. Don't do them too often. Okay. Uh, contrary to some of the information now out there, um, including by one medical doctor who fasts people, he says, your body doesn't use any muscle when you fast. And then he talks about how the body uses muscle when you fast. We measure it. Your body is consuming muscle in the first several days of a fast. It doesn't stop consuming muscle ever, really. There's always a little bit because your brain needs sugar and there's not much from fat. But the muscle mass does drop, the muscle consumption does drop um, considerably after the first 10 or 11 days. So, so, not, so recommended not to be fasting weekly or things like that? Like once well, if, you're, if, you're doing, if you're doing regularly three or four day fasts, as some people do, you're consuming muscle and never getting any real benefit. You're mm. much better off going 21 days once a year than going four days, you know, 10 times a year. Um, you're going to get a lot more benefit but, but, and doing less days. Mm -hmm. but, but fasting that long really requires experienced guidance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something every knowledgeable person about fasting, whether they supervise fast or not, has always said, get experienced guidance. Every single week, I get, almost every day, I get emails from people begging me to help them recover from problems they created by making mistakes fasting on their own. And I have to admit, I mean, I've met a woman I, I like very much. She's become a friend and she's helping me with the project now. When that happened, she was on the seventh day of her fast. She was in deep trouble. And she said, please help me through the rest of my process. What, are, said, what are some of those like mistakes just to, just, uh, just well, to the, know? The, you know, the, the two biggest mistakes, the three biggest mistakes, mm -hmm. I guess, are one, not knowing how much water to consume, drinking too little or too much. Okay. There's a sweet spot and you have to know how to know what it is. You can't do it based on your thirst. Most people are already severely dehydrated. If drinking when you're thirsty worked, they wouldn't be. Okay, so that you, you can't rely on that. You have to know how to tell when the body really needs water. Most people can't tell. 
So I have people drinking much more water than they do when they fast on their own. And they come here having fasted somewhere else, having eliminated no old hard material here, they all eliminate pounds and pounds of it. Um, it's more challenging the way we do it, but it also creates far more benefits every single mm -hmm. time. Um, the second mistake they make is, is being too active. And people don't, don't really understand what real rest means. Um, some people are online all day. I mean, you can go to the on Facebook, these fasting groups, and you know, people are online all day long. That's not resting. Uh, exposing yourself to the radiation from your computer isn't healthy. And looking at a screen all day is not resting at all. It's actually using a ton of energy. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing uses more energy than the brain. And when your eyes are open, you're looking at a, a screen, you, you've got 60,000 bits per second. Up to 60% of your brain is, is functioning when you are looking at something, as I'm looking at you right now on the screen. It's up to 60%. So I, you know, I can think I'm resting, but up to 60% of my brain, which is the second highest consumer of energy, is actively working. Okay? You want to rest and close your eyes. Um, that's critically important. And, you know, people think you can be active. Um, you're, I mean, there are a lot of people who fast to lose weight. You know, these people, my guess is some of them, if you pointed out to them that if they cut off their left leg, they could lose 30 pounds, they'd think, why didn't I think of that before? Because all they care about is the number on the scale. Mm -hmm. okay? you know, I don't, I'm not interested in the weight loss market. I'm interested in people who care about their health, mm -hmm. and who care about optimizing their, you know, their function and who they are. Um, that's the people I want to work with. And so, you know, if you want to be healthy, you have to rest because the whole idea is to conserve as much energy as you can so your body can use that energy to cleanse and heal. If you're using that energy to be active, physically active, you're, you're not going to get much cleansing okay. and healing happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the final mistake is simply not understanding what's happening and not knowing what is and isn't okay. You have to know those things. Okay. So now here's the thing. Uh, you know, there are many people who, as you said, might be thousands of miles away, may not be able to get here to me in Costa Rica. I can come to you. So every day I do five. I, I take only five people at a time, but I'm usually full and often booked in advance. And I work with five people, fasting them, guiding them through the fast. So they're Skype. home and you're guiding them through Skype or calls exactly. or whatever, right? Okay. Exactly. Through Skype. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I have to be able to see them. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, beautiful technology. They take their vital signs. They have to have the machines. They take their vital signs. They email the information. We talk every single day. They have uh, priority email access to me. They have my emer emergency phone numbers for me. They can always reach me if they need to. Okay. And it's as close as possible to being here. It's not the same. You know, if you can get here, it's a lot better. Yeah. I'm sure they won't have the jungle sounds, the pristine water, but hey, you have to do the best you can with what you have, I guess, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so... Um, since many of our uh, listeners are uh, young entrepreneurs or change makers, how could fasting enhance their lifestyle? Because well, uh, again, they're not only people wanting to lose weight. They're people wanting to uh, become a better self and, and let go of all stagnation. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, what, what fasting does for anybody, you know, again, it allows your entire body to cleanse and heal and function as well as possible. And so we, we think more clearly when we're fasting, you know, with fasting, we, uh, we feel emotionally more balanced. Mm -hmm. We have more energy. Everything functions better. Um, I, I mean, I, I know this sounds like hyperbole and I, I, I can only apologize because if you've never experienced this, it's hard to imagine, yeah. you know, but we help people feel and function better than they ever have. And I mm -hmm. guarantee that, you know, if you can follow simple directions, 
uh, and you can come and spend four or more weeks with us. And I, you know, for, for entrepreneurs, that might be difficult to do, but it's not impossible. And you can get online. We don't have any Wi-Fi. We have an internet lounge where you can plug in. Uh, there are five places you can sit. You can plug in your laptop or use one of our computers and you can do what you need to, but you want to rest as much as you can. Now, if you mm -hmm. can organize your life to be able to take a month off, mm -hmm. you won't believe how well you feel and function afterwards. Yeah, it will be you like an investment in time. You, you give yourself, let's say, 21, one month before and after. And right. then it's like going to like uh, doing your master's of, of your mind. And then you go back into reality and you probably perform better, right? Absolutely perform better. Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to be mentally clear. You're going to be emotionally more balanced. You're going to be physically more energetic. Um, you're going to build muscle more easily. I mean, it's going to help you in every single way if you do what you need to do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, what uh, one spiritual book that you recommend to anybody? That's a tough one because there's so many great books. Um, there's a book that, so here, uh, four nights a week, we have a, a meditation. We meet by candlelight uh, at 7 p.m. It's always dark here all year long. And we sit around by candlelight and I read with a, with a little flashlight or the, the light on my phone from a book called Love Without Conditions. And it's based on the mm -hmm. teachings of Jesus. It's about fostering unconditional love for yourself and, and all of life. And I believe it's some of the most important work we do. We, I, I read a section that's five to 10 minutes. We meditate together as a group. And, and, and this, by the way, is optional. I mean, mm -hmm. many people are maybe in bed at that point of the day, but you know, it's anybody who wants to be here comes and then we'll sit around and discuss it. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, I, I don't believe wherever, you know, ultimately it's all about being happy. Mm -hmm. That's what everyone wants, right? And unfortunately, most people don't realize that they're not only creating their own physical challenges, but they're creating their own emotional challenges by the way they, they view the world and how they choose to look at things and their programming. And we can change the programming mm. and we can eliminate the garbage. And, and you know, again, we, I mean, we physically become, we become more emotionally balanced by simply getting the garbage out of the body. Mm -hmm. But we still have to learn how to look at things differently. Mm. And so this, this is an amazing book, Love Without Conditions by Paul Farini. And okay. it's, I, I've now read it probably 50 times because I now read it to clients uh, three times, uh, three, you know, I read it one and a half times each session uh, and I've been doing it for 15 years. Mm. So I've read this book like 50 or 60 times. Mm. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. Um, I was browsing through your website and I see that you're uh, hosting uh, the third uh, for a third time, the fruit festival March, right? Yeah. That's right. Uh, March 9th to 16th. Um, you know, if you had a chance, if, if you go, anyone, if you go to the Tanglewood, tanglewoodwellnesscenter.com website, playing in the background, you'll see a tour of the center. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful here. People show up here and they're amazed at how beautiful it is. Pe many people say it's the most beautiful place they've ever seen. I guess that's where um, healing starts, just by arriving into mother nature. Absolutely. You know, you're, you're surround, we're surrounded by nature. We have beautiful gardens. We have the jungle. We have the, the, the birds and the monkeys. And we have this clean water. We have sunlight. And um, the place is gorgeous and comfortable. We have a beautiful saltwater pool. We have a big trampoline. We have exercise bars and a beautiful yoga studio. At the, during the, the fruit festival, there's yoga classes every day. Uh, we'll have a couple. We have a beautiful fire circle. We'll have a couple of uh, bonfires there. We'll, have, we'll share our meals. This, this won't be a giant festival. It's a relatively small event. And um, we've got comfortable 
housing here for 26 guests. We have a campground that we built next door with beautiful bathrooms for campers. And so we can, you know, we can take more than 26. We can have mm. 26 in rooms plus people in tents. Uh, we'll spend one day at a beach that's been called the most beautiful beach in Costa Rica. It happens to be one of the closest beaches to us. We have uh, just down the road from us, we have the highest waterfalls in Central America. And mm. we'll spend a day there. We'll hike down. It's, it's a big hike, but we'll hike down there, spend the day there, have lunch, swim in the pools, um, and then uh, hike on back up and, and come on back in time for dinner. Um, we'll have lectures every day. There'll be plenty of downtime and time to just relax. We've got kilometers of trails on site through the jungles. There's 25 or 30 benches around the property, places mm-hmm. you can sit. Um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful time. It's a chance to really get to know a group of other like-minded people. If, if you like what you're hearing here today, you know, if you resonate with mm-hmm. my teaching, my philosophy, um, I'll be speaking every day. Um, and the food is amazing. It's, mm. uh, there, there are festivals, you know, fruit festivals happening all over the world. Um, most of them serve precious little uh, organic food. Ours is 100% organic, everything we serve. Uh, last year, we had more than 40 different fruits for people to at least try, if not have a whole meal of. Um, we'll have tons of jackfruit. It's mango season here oh. uh, at the time. We'll have uh, you know, tons of different mangoes. We'll have, uh, we always have amazing papayas and watermelons and pineapples. We grow 16 varieties of bananas. We'll have two or three bananas that we'll have a lot of at that point in time. We'll have um, several other kinds of melon besides watermelon. We'll have granada, granadilla, oh, wow. uh, passion fruit. Um, what else? I mean, I, I can't even think of everything. Remember, my, my mouth is just watering by listening to all yeah. the amazing fruits you're going to be having. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's spectacular. You know, you know, for many people, it'll be the best food you've ever had. Uh, you know, amazing times. Um, it's, it's, it's guaranteed to be a good time. And right now, it's the 20th. So there's about 10 days left to save 10% okay. off of the, the rate. Um, maybe you can put a link up. If, yeah, I'll definitely. Know, if you... I'll, I'll add different links of your website yeah. and also the, a reminder that it's at 10%. Um, okay, awesome. Just through, the end, just through the end of January. The end of January, okay. Yeah. And um, to conclude this, um, I've been asking this question for the, uh, during my past interviews. Um, let's suppose you had two minutes on national TV worldwide yeah. where all the right. channels will stop and you will be broadcasting live. You have two minutes to share your message or a message to all the human beings of the world. What, what could it be? Well, that, that message is uh, a, that you are a divine creative being and create anything you choose to that. Um, mo- the only real limitations we have are the limitations that we believe we have. Uh, in most cases, they're not real. And that uh, an amazing level of health and vitality is possible for anyone. I wasn't special. I was very sick. Uh, I went from being very sick to being incredibly vibrant and healthy without a single day sick, without a single day missed work, you know, having tons of energy, um, mental clarity that I never experienced before. I mean, what's possible for people is to feel and function better than they ever thought they could. And as a result of all of that, and, and shifting how we think and feel to actually be happy and enjoy life. Um, you know, life can be much richer. I know many people suffer emotionally and physically, and, and very few people actually need to. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you very much. You're very uh, welcome. I uh, would like to acknowledge uh, the time uh, you've uh, given us today. 
as we were discussing that it could be maybe one hour, but we both knew that in one hour you can't cover uh, such a profound topic as fasting, as being human, as being humane. Um, yeah. I'm, um, I'm excited to visit you once I, I get uh, myself to Costa Rica, probably during summer or whatnot. If I could, I would definitely visit uh, your fruit festival. It sounds amazing. It's like a small it ga gathering of fruit lovers. And even yeah. if you're listening to this, if you're not a fruitarian, you're not vegan, just go okay. and experience what a yeah. high vibe, colorful, um, exactly. awakening uh, festival this, this will be. Um, absolutely uh, yeah. thank you also for doing the work you do you know uh, that's why I created this podcast I, I want to showcase to people that you can do what you love make a living out of it be happy and be true to yourself and to absolutely. your colleagues so absolutely thank you again it's, it's been a pleasure take care namaste